and all else, just give me Jesus. Some crazy storms this past weekend, yes? That was awesome. I love storms. It's the one thing I miss about my stint in the Midwest is you don't get good storms like that around here too often. So Friday, phenomenal thunderstorm. Even Saturday morning, here's the problem with the storm Saturday morning. I had a race yesterday, and all week long I had been looking at the weather. And all week long it said it was going to be nice, calm, and just under 90 degrees. Well, it was dumping rain as we hit the water, and it was really, really windy. Next Sunday, I'll be gone, as will several others. We're doing a local race here, at least five others. Pastor Ron will be here. He's going to start uh, Habakkuk, um, the next series in our, in our Minor Prophet series. He's going to do a fantastic job. With next week being a race, and with several of us, at least five, doing that, I'm wondering, can somebody please tell me the weather next week? Now, don't, don't get on your phone. Don't, don't check your internet. Just tell me. Great. Rain. Miserable. Awesome. Any, 100% certainty. Somebody tell me, what's the sky going to look like next Sunday morning? Nobody? All right. All right. I'll go a different direction. That one's obviously not working. There are a few families in here that are caring for aging parents. I'm thinking of the winters. I'm thinking of the crouches. We've had conversations about this. In two or three years from now, what will your parents be like? What, 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 what life experiences between now and then will help shape them? What will their demeanors be like? Two or three years, can you tell me? Maybe you can make a guess, but 100% certainty? No. no. Yeah, that didn't work either. We'll go another direction. Tyler. You're holding your beautiful baby daughter, Marianne Ruth. Yes? Okay. So far, this predicting thing isn't working. Okay? 15 years from now, can you tell me who's going to be the first guy to break your little girl's heart? A dead guy. <laughs> A dead guy. Tyler's not large in stature physically, but <laughs> there might be some preemptive measures. Can you tell me which kids at school are going to say something to her that makes her come home crying tears of pain and hurt? Can you tell me who is going to do something, say something that's going to cause scars on her heart of the book of life that's being written for her? 15 years, come on. Can't do it, can you? No. You can't do it. Tyler can't. Crouches, winters can't. You guys can't even predict the weather. If we stand on two legs and we call ourselves humanity, there's a good chance that we cannot predict 100% certainty of what's going to take place in the future. But there was a guy who many believe was raised by his grandfather who spoke words from the Lord to the people in Israel. This guy spoke words about something that would take place not Two or three years from now, not a week from then, not even 15 years from now, he spoke words that would take place 500 years into the future. And he spoke them with amazing clarity, amazing accuracy. This young man's name was Zechariah. Join me today as I tell a story, as I tell a narrative that jumps backwards and forwards many, many times. As we look at what Zechariah said would take place 500 years after he spoke. The story begins with an engaged couple in a little village called Nazareth. 
This couple was engaged to be married, but before the marriage took place, Mary, the woman, became pregnant miraculously. She was visited by Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, who told her what was going to take place. Luke chapter 1. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give, give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel said Mary's little baby boy was going to be a king. Rewind 500 years. And in speaking about a coming Messiah, you see Zechariah declare this in chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. Return with me to that small village in Nazareth. You got a pregnant fiance, a baby that is not his own, and Joseph had heard of his fiance's condition. And he was planning to break off the engagement. But that night, in a dream, another angel had a conversation with him. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. Joseph, her, her fiancé, Mary's fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace Mary publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, a son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins, save his people. Later on, this baby-turned man made an outrageous statement. Luke chapter 19, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Salvation. The baby Jesus would bring salvation. The baby would save people from their sins. What a claim. But a claim from an angel who stood in the presence of the Lord and a claim from Jesus himself, yet rewind 500 years and the young man named Zechariah made that same claim. Still in chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. The Hebrew word for salvation is venovsha. It means to deliver means to save. And Jesus would do that. But more than only saving, that same sentence, that same verse that Zechariah spoke about this coming Messiah also spoke about him being just or righteous. Now, if Zechariah was predicting a kingship and, and another thing, couldn't we go back and test to see if that other prediction, him being just, was also true? Well, the author of the Gospel of John, who told the life story of Jesus, tells of Jesus responding to the religious leaders who were harassing him for breaking the Sabbath law. Jesus told them this, 
By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. My judgment is just. In the short span of about a sentence, this young man, Zachariah, spoke of a Messiah being king, of a Messiah being savior, and a Messiah being just. All three things came true. Let's continue the story. The story of Jesus after his birth, aside from a couple of incidences, is pretty calm. It's pretty quiet. The story really takes off when Jesus' public ministry begins. Jesus began his public preaching with this. Luke chapter 4. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the day of the Lord's favor, the time of the Lord's favor has come. Rewind 500 years. Zechariah spoke of the coming Messiah's ministry having an active and vital voice to the downtrodden, to the oppressed. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 7. So I cared for the flock that was intended for slaughter. The flock that was oppressed. So Jesus' public ministry began. And what a public ministry it was. I mean, miraculous healings, power over nature, feeding vast crowds with little amounts of bread. Jesus would raise people from the dead, cast out demons from the possessed, make the blind see and the deaf hear. You're familiar with the life story of Jesus, yes? Yes, if you're not, read the Gospels. All four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will be floored by what this man did. He did things that you would have thought would have had everyone jumping for joy. Everyone clamoring to see who this man was. Everyone excited to be born in a time where it was obvious that God was doing something spectacular. But not everyone felt that way. Not everyone was excited. and In fact, there were some that were quite displeased. Some that were put out. Some that very early on in Jesus' ministry even began to plot his death. They were rejecting him. Rejecting his ministry. Rejecting his claims. The man Zechariah, 500 years earlier, had said this would happen. From a prophetic voice of a future good shepherd, Zechariah 11, verse 8. But I became impatient with the sheep, and they hated me too. They hated me too. The story in John's gospel about Jesus, there is a phrase that rings true to Zechariah's prediction. John chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Many a time in the gospel story, it it shows leadership of Israel plotting Jesus' death. See it in Mark chapter 3. It says, at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to conspire how to kill Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. These rejectors finally did get their wish, persuading the mob, persuading the crowd to ask for Jesus' death from someone who had the power to grant it, the Roman governor Pilate. Matthew chapter 27, verse 20, meanwhile, the leading priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. 
before we get to this point in the story about Jesus' death, we must back up our story just a little bit. This group of people you just saw plotting for Jesus' death was the leadership of Israel. You got the Pharisees, you got the leading priests, you've got the elders. These people were supposed to be leading Israel in a positive way, and yet you look at that leadership, and we can tell looking back, that was not good leadership. Zechariah had spoken of unfit leadership in the coming of the Messiah's time. Zechariah 11, verse 4 and following. This is what the Lord my God says. Go and care for the flock that is intended for slaughter. The buyers slaughter their sheep without remorse. The sellers say, praise the Lord, now I'm rich. Even the shepherds have no compassion for them. That's a phrase meaning even Israel's leadership has no compassion for them. Likewise, I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, says the Lord. I will let them fall into each other's hands and into the hands of their king. They will turn the land into a wilderness and I will not rescue them. Unfit leadership. Zechariah was talking about what would happen. He was predicting what would take place 500 years later in Jesus' day. And the leadership in Jesus' day, how did Jesus talk about them? Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. That is bad leadership. Now go back to the verse in Zechariah 11. Did you notice that Zechariah's conversation about unfit leadership, in that conversation he talked about the future leadership rejecting the Messiah for a different king? End of verse 6, the Lord says, I will let them fall into each other's hands and into the hands of their king. Listen to the echoes five centuries later when the gospel writer John says this. Then Pilate tried to release Jesus. But the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar. The leading priests shouted back. We have no king but Caesar. In other words, we reject this king for another one. We started our time this morning talking about telling a story about a guy 500 years prior and the events that would take place 500 years later. We'd be looking at how a young man named Zachariah spoke of people and events that would take place a long time in his future. And we've heard of people rejecting Jesus. We've heard of them claiming a different king. We've heard of their plots for his death. And we've heard of the events from Zechariah 500 years before taking place 500 years later in the Gospels. What's even crazier than what we've seen thus far is the specifics with which Zechariah spoke of some of the events surrounding Jesus' death, 
his betrayal, his arrest, and his crucifixion. Listen at Zechariah's accuracy. About a week prior to the crucifixion, there was a Sunday that we call Palm Sunday. It was the day Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, kicking off the final week of his earthly life. You've already heard parts of Zechariah 9, verse 9. Let's hear them again, and we'll fill in more of the story. Rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem, or, or of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just, and he's having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It was how Jesus described himself in Matthew chapter 11. He said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Zechariah had said this, this king arriving in Jerusalem would be on a donkey's colt and he would be humble. Jesus confirmed it. But more than the description of Jesus' character, the specificity of how the Messiah would enter Jerusalem was pretty impressive. Matthew chapter 21 Verses 1 to 5. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside. Untie them and bring it to me. If anyone asks, What are you doing? Just say, The Lord needs it, and he'll immediately let you take them. This prophecy took place to fulfill the thing we've been reading about in Zechariah 9 9. Tell the people of Jerusalem, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. In Zechariah 9.9, he spoke about rejoicing taking place. He spoke about shouting being in order, and that's what happened on that day. Matthew 21, 8 and 9, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Praise God in the highest heaven! Palm Sunday. Now that, that was the joyous foretelling. The joyous prophecy of Zechariah concerning Jesus. The more difficult parts, the less joyous parts came when Jesus was arrested. See, the mob came to the garden. The arrest was made and the disciples dispersed. Mark chapter 14, verse 50 says, All the disciples deserted Jesus and ran away. 500 years earlier, Zechariah had said, Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Remember, I, not too long ago, asked you to predict the weather for a week from now, right? Couldn't do it. I asked a couple of people to predict what their parents would be like in two or three years. Couldn't do it. I asked Tyler to predict who would break his little girl's heart in 15 years. Couldn't do it, but if he could, it would not be good. Try and wrap your mind around what the prophet Zechariah says next and how exact what actually takes place. Zechariah 11, verse 12 and 13. And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my hire, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my hire thirty pieces of silver. And Jehovah said unto me, Cast it under the potter, the goodly price that I was prized at by them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver, and I cast them under the potter into the house of Jehovah. 
Listen again from another translation. It said, And I said to them, If you like, give me my wages, whatever I am worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, this magnificent sum at which they valued me. So I took the 30 coins and I threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. Now I borrow from the words of author Wayne Jackson to unpack these two verses. He says, The prophecy suggests that there would be a haggling of terms in connection with the betrayal of Jesus. If you think good, give me my hire. If not, forbear. Matthew records Judas, the betrayer's words to the religious leaders as follows. What are you willing to give me? And I will deliver him to you. That's Matthew 26, 15. Now in that same passage, Zechariah specified the metallic composition of the coinage by which the transaction would be made. It wasn't gold. It wasn't copper. It was silver. Matthew 26, 15. And they gave Judas 30 pieces of silver. The exact number of coins was prophetically declared in Zechariah 11, verse 12. Now this amount is not incidental. 30 pieces of silver under the Mosaic law was the price to be paid to remedy the damage done to a slave, to a servant who had been gored by a neighbor's ox. That's Exodus 30 or 21. Here's the significance. Jesus went to the cross as a servant. And he was wounded. He was gored by the nails of crucifixion brutality. Zechariah had said the Messiah would be a servant. Zechariah 3, verse 8. Listen to me, O Jeshua the high priest, and all you others. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I'm, soon I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. Listen again to Zechariah 11, verse 13. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. This magnificent sum, note the sarcasm, at which they valued me. So I took the 30 coins and I threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. That prophecy indicates that the money would be returned to the Jewish leaders, the custodians of the house of God. Now Matthew's gospel records that Judas, in a swoon of regret, brought the coins to the chief priests and elders, but they would have none of it. Their superficial religiosity would not allow the temple treasury to be contaminated with blood money. How commendable was their devotion? Bloody hands recoiled at blood money. Now, the ancient prophet Zechariah indicated that in some way the silver coins were to be cast or thrown into the house of Jehovah. Zechariah predicts the act of Judas. Because in Matthew 27, verse 5, it says that Judas cast down the pieces of silver into the sanctuary. What you've got to understand is the word sanctuary denotes the sacred place, the most holy place. This is the place where only the priests and the high priests were able to go. Since Judas would not have been allowed in there, he would have got as close as he could and then thrown the coins in there. Prophecy fulfilled. Finally, Zechariah suggests that the ultimate destination of this goodly price would be the potter. The chief priests took the money and they purchased a potter's field. 
It'll serve as a burial place for strangers. A lot of people think this field was a, a place where clay for pottery was extracted from the earth or, or perhaps a dump where broken shards finally were discarded. At the time that Matthew penned his gospel, about 20 or 30 years after Jesus' death, the place was still known as the field of blood. Zechariah's prophecy in just those two verses alone shown to be remarkable but there's still more Jesus hung on a cross and beside him were two thieves the religious leaders wanted to hurry up the death process because they had a festival the next day so they asked the Roman soldiers to speed up the process and you know the story one Roman soldier went around he broke the legs of the two thieves on the cross next to Jesus and when he came to Jesus Jesus was already dead But for proof of that, for evidence of that, he jabbed a spear. He pierced a spear into Jesus' side. John 19, 34. One of the soldiers, however, pierced Jesus' side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. 500 years earlier, Zechariah had spoken of this. Zechariah 12, verse 10. Then I will pour out my spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced. A joyful entry into a celebratory city. A betrayal with a price and a no-returns policy on blood money. The disciples scatter. A crucifixion takes place. A side is pierced. The side of a Messiah. 500 years before all this took place, a young man by the name of Zechariah said it would happen. And he spoke of it with accuracy and clarity. Now I told you that no human could predict the future. You agreed with me. But one who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he made some pretty accurate words. So do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Is Jesus the one that Zechariah was talking about? Do you believe this story today? And are you willing to make the story the foundation of your life, the the cornerstone of your worldview? Zechariah had declared that the Messiah would be a cornerstone. Zechariah 10, verse 4, from Judah will come the cornerstone. And the Apostle Paul told the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 20, the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. You can try and tell me what the weather will be next week. You can try and tell me what your parents will be in two or three years. You can try and tell me who's going to hurt your daughter's feelings. I will not believe you with 100% accuracy. But I tell you what, I believe Zechariah. And I believe the words he spoke were accurate about Jesus as the Messiah. And I'm going to bank on them. On him saving me and the process through which that took place. If you're already part of that story, keep walking. And if you're not, I invite you to join us on that story. It's the story of Jesus as told through the prophet Zechariah. He may be a minor prophet, but he has a major message. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes it's fun to look at what you said years and years and years ago. And see how it was fulfilled. See how it took place. And God, though a lot of people 
Today's world may look at this and say it's chance or may look at it and say you're, you're just picking and choosing certain phrases that fit with what you want to claim as this Messiah. Lord, I believe. I believe. And I ask that you help me to believe more. Help us as a body buy in fully to the fact that the Messiah that was prophesied about was Jesus the Christ. May that affect our interactions with each other, with our neighbors, with the people at work. May that affect our interactions with the city, the state, our country, our world. I choose you, Jesus. It's your name that I pray. Amen.